Welcome back, everybody, to Rain on Your Parade with J.L. Covan. I'm J.L. Covan, here, as always, with producer Mike. Hello, producer Mike. Hi, everybody. Hi, J.L. How you doing? What's going on? How's your new How's your? It's a lot of questions coming at me right now. I can only do one at a time. I'll take the first question first. I'm doing fine. Okay, good. Okay. I'm happy to hear that. Did you ever see Quiz Show? Um, Totoro, right? Yes. I don't think Rafe I've seen Fines, also Rafe known Fines. as Ralph Fiennes. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I've seen it through, but I know the gist of it. That's a true story, right? It is a true story, and it's a great movie. I recommend you catch up on that. Spoiler alert, 1995, but uh, yeah. it's a good movie. Um, or 94. Might have been 94. Were you around back then? I was four. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a soft like PG or R movie, so you could have seen it then. Okay. Okay. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, in quiz show, see that was it was. I just assumed you were going to say yes, yeah. So then I could have just made the quick reference. Uh-huh. It would have been like was this? You, a, was this? We were going this far for a reference? Well, we were. We didn't realize <laughs> we were going to have to go this far. So forget the reference. It would be like if if you hadn't seen The Godfather Three, uh-huh. and how many Joe Mantegna and Al Pacino's subtle lines yeah, yeah. have been dropped in this. Yeah. In this show. It's a running theme. Rain on your parade. I come because it's the show that gives Godfather 3 its proper level <laughs> of quotable respect. Fine. If they will not give, I will take. We I should re- take Zaza out. <laughs> you, you want me to take care of this Uncle Mike? I take him right. I'm going to buy a I take him right now. Oh, Andy Garcia. The, the depths you had to go because Hollywood wouldn't write Latin parts. Seriously. Uh, he is, he should be featured in all the documentaries. It's yeah. Like, I, I, I was amazed when I was a kid and I found out that he wasn't Italian. It was crazy. I was like, he's one of our great Italian actors. Oh, he's not. Oh, <laughs> it was, I mean, you got George, you got Giuseppe Petri in, uh, yeah, in, in, in the, the untouchables. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then it was like, as I've joked before, it was like, and then around 1999, he was like, by the way, guys, I'm Cuban. Yep. Indie films, <laughs> yep. get your ass to a 24 yep. or Miramax. Yeah. Just don't let the guy touch you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I, uh, what was that about quiz show? That was really irrelevant. Wow. That we can, we can really spin a yarn here on this show. Um, but I was in Trader Joe's as I often am before this show. There's a Trader Joe's right down the block. Mm. We don't want to give any more of the studio's location, yeah. but I was getting a water and, and the hot chicks are back at Trader Joe's. They came back from their Florida vacations or whatever. Um, it was great. It was great. Trader Joe's. It's, it feels it feels sort of hipster and like- I wonder why. No, no. Ex- <laughs> right. Except I think it's a facade. I think Joe is like kind of like a hardcore dude. And he just is like, this is what the people want. Yeah. They want this vibe because there were signs everywhere as I walked in that were like, your dogs are not allowed in here. <laughs> and there was a guy standing at the top of the escalator with an especially sad looking Basset Hound. Like uh-huh. the Basset Hound looked extra sad. Like- Normally, I can come in here. Yeah, right. And I thought, wow, this is not what I expect from Trader Joe's. I expect him to be like, you know, change your baby's diaper here and, uh, you know, well, this is bring what's gonna, a dog. It's going to happen the way that things happen with the baby boomers where they were like cool and hip for a little bit and then they grow up. And and my generation, absolutely. Like the hipster generation started, bring your dog wherever. Bring your dog into restaurants. We don't care. Let it eat at the table with you. Fuck your dog. We're sex positive. <laughs> yeah, right. I think at some point as we grow up, there, there's going to have to be some sort of correction back to the middle where they're just like, all right, the dog doesn't need to be in the grocery store with you unless it's like here to help you see or something like that, yeah. you know? No, it's, it's, uh, it's very, I, I love cookie. My dog. Cookie's, yes. He's awesome. 
But, you know, when I would be walking in the city back from the dog park, if I needed something at the drugstore, guess what I had to do? Bring my dog home yeah. and then go back. Nobody even ties their dog. or I couldn't do it with Cookie because she's, she's very scared outside. Yeah. But if she wasn't so scared, I would just tie her to a, to a, a meter. Yeah. That's, that used to be common. Yep. And now it's like, no, my, my dog is coming in. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all become white women. Yeah. We are a society yeah. of white women. Well, actually, I was in, I was in, I think it was, it might have been a Trader Joe's. It was some grocery store uh, not that long ago. And I remember seeing uh, uh, some woman had the dog in the grocery store and the dog pissed in the aisle. And some, somebody that, imagine you work at the grocery store, which sucks enough. And now, now you're cleaning up somebody's dog's piss. In yeah. the middle of the frozen food section. That sucks. It does. And no, but I did. The main point of this, bring up Trader Joe's, was there was uh, a nice percentage of hot women in the store today. Rock on. Um, which is good. It's good to see uh, that we still are a society where hot women don't have to have jobs during the day. Yeah. You know, because I remember during, I, I want to say, after the economic crisis of 08, I was taking buses to, to gigs. And it's the only time in my life I've seen quite attractive women on Greyhound. And mm. I thought, this nation cannot last if this is what we are. <laughs> the end of an empire. If hot women are on Greyhound. <laughs> but like, like I want to, I'm going to be that, that, that tipster to like some financial firm who's like, we found the inefficiencies. JL is our guy on the, on the, on the front lines who informs us of the trends where we normally don't look. Mm-hmm. So I'm going short on the U.S. economy when hot women start showing up on Greyhound buses because the entire infrastructure is about to crumble or has started to crumble. Yeah. Um, but, and I saw some couple in there and it's got, like, he looked like rock stars never fucking change their look. Right. It's kind of pathetic. Meaning if you were once a rock star, like if you wore like scarves and rings and like beads and shit as yeah. like a 1973 rock God, you're now 81 and you still wear that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, St- Steven Tyler still dresses like Steven Tyler. Right. Uh, sure. uh, uh, and he, as he yeah. morphs into Carly Simon, he, he <laughs> yeah. dresses like Steven Tyler still. <laughs> yeah. Dude does look like a lady now. Um, you're so vain. But I saw this guy and I just have to assume if you're 71 in a Trader Joe's with like a smoking hot, tall, 45 to 50 year old you had to be in a band like you can't just walk can you walk can you you're the fashion guy yeah and i'm i'm very strong on tattoos you know be they should be the territory of only certain cliques of people Mm -hmm. military gangs bikers rock stars they're not anymore right my question is do you think rock star garb is now like there's like 70 year old dudes going like oh if i put on enough scarves some some hot young thing will think I'm like some aging songwriter and want to bone me. I think there's definitely that age for sure when like rock music was cool that still are kind of like trying to be cool guys with thin scarfs and and like yeah. rings and stuff. It is I, this is this is one of the reasons that I didn't want to get into music, JL as as a musician. I I thought that musicians and rock bands specifically like always aged poorly. Yeah. Like they just start to look insane like think about keith richards man he doesn't even look like a human being anymore he and granted that's a lot of drugs and shit but there's also a style attached to it that's just kind of like i don't know you look kind of like a little kid like you should you know what i mean like this is you're you're dressing in a way that like uh, a 17 year old or an 18 year old thinks is cool right forever 
<laughs> you know, I, I think the best space to be in, and I, I say this because I've I've known the man, I've met the man, uh, Richard Marks. The if you're an adult contemporary star, a Michael Bolton, a Kenny G, a Richard Marks, somebody in that vein, mm-hmm. where you never, although Richard Marks and Michael Bolton and Kenny G all had sort of unique hairstyles yeah. at their peak that were very indicative of their times, they've all aged very well into just like. Cool, rich guys whose music you remember and like. Dude, Kenny G's having a resurgence. He's he's doing like I think he did some late night show recently where he did like he did the 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 melody part for um uh some Warren G song with Warren G. Ah. and he he did it on the the sax. Uh, yeah. And he's like, I think Lebetard has also championed him. Like Kenny G is Lebetard has... used to champion me. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> and and then uh, I got set up. <laughs> I got fucking set up. Um, but I think that he's had this resurgence now by staying, by being true to himself, right? And n- by trying to, by not being cool, right? And secretly actually being kind of a well, cool now guy. It's, that's the move. The pivot. Yeah is to cell phone when Michael Bolton did the Lonely Island yes, video. Right. That is the, per- because now right. you People got like, to, that guy's cool. Right. You got to crush it as an 80s, early 90s guy, like on your own merits. Yeah. Like you were crushing it, banging models and, yeah, and yeah. doing, then you go through a little phase where maybe you're a little low key, but you're still sitting on piles of cash, which yeah. is always, uh, at club whore, yeah. piles of cash <laughs> is always going to get you in. <laughs> then you reach this new level of like, hey, I'm still famous, but I get who I am. Yeah. And you get that credit for being like self-aware. Yeah. And it's it's like, that's the zone to be in. Like when I when I see those guys, it's like, oh, nice suit. Or you look good. Or you just, you look like a regular guy, but you're famous and rich and talented. Yeah. And that's all we, it's, that's it. Rock stars, it's like you, 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 you go, you, you soar. But like it's 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 that's a tough look. Even if, even well, famous yeah. rock stars, Steven Tyler is a good example. He's still Steven Tyler. Aerosmith is a great band. But if I saw Steven Tyler walking down the street, I'd be like, "That's fucking weird, dude." Yeah, we I think we <laughs> talked about it a little bit when we did the Guns N' Roses episode, uh, yeah. like a, a month or two ago, or whatever. Right. But Axl Rose is now Harry Styles' mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is that there is like there is an inherent danger and sexuality to uh, not as much anymore, but like in its prime, rock music. Like the stones, like the lifestyle those guys were living. It's right. it's kind of cool that they did their thing and dressed the way that they did or whatever. And then they aged out of, I guess, the drugs and the partying and all that stuff. But Axl Rose is another great example. It's like when you watch those videos of those those bands in the 80s, especially Guns N' Roses, like you look at them and you're just like, these guys probably like smell bad. They probably are like like hammered right now. Like they're not one of them's not wearing a shirt. But they have the power and and majesty of like an animal kingdom video. Yeah. Cause when you're like like, when you're like 31 and you're like the hottest thing walking in younger. Fucking yeah, yeah, you're right. Probably like like 20, 27. Right. Yeah. And you're just like you're you're rich and famous, and the thing that you're rich and famous for is like electric. Yeah. It's just kind of it's a thing that's just not really matched by somebody like Kenny G or even even like a Sinatra because of how adult his thing always was. He was able to kind of stay the same right. from like 40 to however long he lived. And I'll it never of, never really got like tired, you know. I want to make the comedy analogy to that because yeah, Sinatra's a great example where it's just like 
You're timeless. Yes, timeless. You're timeless and classic from the time you're 25 to the time you're 75. Yes, yeah. And it's the way I feel about uh, content excluded, Chris Rock versus Dave Chappelle, which I've often made like a Russell Westbrook comparison to like a a Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic, where it's like Chappelle's style. Yeah, he had more energy as a young comic, but he always had a style that was going to age better. Yeah. So he may be controversial now, but he's he is aging better as a comic than yeah. Chris Rock, who was rock star yes. energy, which just doesn't age well. Like yeah. people don't want the high energy 60-year-old. Like yeah. you unless you're curmudgeon. Yeah. And that's not physical energy. That's Lewis Black just complaining about things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the same thing as like rock star <laughs> energy. Yeah. Um Yeah, I agree. You know, so uh that I don't even know what we were talking about. Um, to be completely fair, Trader Joe's. Yeah, good to see that. The, the point is, hot women are back at Trader Joe's. They they're back from their vacation or whatever, and dogs aren't allowed. And I thought Joe is laying down the hammer, which I didn't expect. Good for Joe. Yeah, he's an iron fist in a canvas tote glove. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, before we get to the main topic this week, I did want to just bring up something that I'm sure many of my wa- my viewers or listeners aren't familiar with, and I don't think you are. Um, I was on channel 508 in New Jersey on Fios. Don't know the name of the channel, but I was stumbling you around. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. 508, huh? Yeah. Well, it was right after ABC. You know, so it's, it's in that in that core 13. <laughs> so it was an HD channel at least. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> and I'm watching and all I see is two... I would say one woman was a 10 and the other woman was a 14 on a oh, scale of 10. Gorgeous women. Yes, Latin yeah. women. And they're doing like a clip show. Like a TMZ meets America's Funniest Home Videos meets like Crime Stoppers or something. But I these two women, I looked at the one on the oh, right. You were you meant you were watching 508. Yeah. What what did you I think? swear I thought you meant that you did like an appearance on 508. I was like, what? Oh, no, my career's dead, dude. <laughs> what are you talking about? My special came out. It's it should be legendary. It's doing nothing. Um, no promotion from anybody involved. It's uh no, my career's dead. I was literally like, Yeah, I'm sure, JL, somebody probably saw you on channel five oh eight. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't realize it meant that you were watching channel five oh eight. Yeah, I was watching channel five oh eight. I'm sorry. My bad. No, thank That's you for me. giving me slight credit that I might have been on TV. <laughs> That's actually nice of you by accident. You were accidentally supportive. <laughs> but I'm watching and it's called Alarmo TV. Love it. Alarmo TV. Yeah. For those that don't speak Spanish, which I don't. <laughs> but I kept hearing. And it was, they had the smooth voiced Latin guy narrating all the like videos, one of which was like a woman on woman, like trucker fight. Yeah. Uh, one was like people just crashing into things. It was a, it was a, a robust mix of clips. Yeah. Uh, but it had the smooth voiced guy who yeah. I'm, I'm speaking of. Se siempre yeah. campando y un mil. Now we see two mujeres. Good luck with you. And these two women now. The, the 10 must secretly hate going to work. Yeah. And of course, they're wearing short dresses, busty, cleavage, good, just, just a million bucks. Yeah. And the 10, you're like, my God, you're so, oh, get out of here, you garbage dump. <laughs> Who's the 14? Um, I'd love to work on that show. Yeah. I'd love to be a producer or something because that 10, I think the whole show set up to get somebody who doesn't deserve the 10, the 10. 
because they, she keeps looking at the 14 trying to pretend to be friends with her. So you think it's a long con? For it's somebody. a long con. Got it. But I just, I want to give respect uh, to, to just Latin television programming because it, there's days where I'm on Instagram or flipping TV channels or just seeing memes. I don't know if I'm looking at uh, hardcore pornography or a Latin weather woman. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of, of Spanish television. They, let me put it this way. Harvey Weinstein, if he had worked in Spanish television, would have been known as a gentleman. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. But... <laughs> no, I'm exaggerating. I, I, I of know. course. I understand comedy. But, but... <laughs> I got it. So then I stand by it. He would have been known as a gentleman. Um, uh, whatever, like, ombre gentle is in... Uh, but but yeah. because they are just basically like... And I date like I was in a relationship a long time ago for a few years with a, with a with a Puerto Rican woman, and she was just very blunt about things. Where she was just like, "Well, men are very visual." Yeah, and it was like that's the I am living in the world of fact, but like no judgment, probably to a degree that's not healthy. Lat Having worked yes. in the Bronx District Attorney's Office, I see where the catering to machismo yes can really backfire. Yeah. Um, and that's a great lead in, by the way, to our main topic of, uh, I called it crime and prejudice today. Yeah. Instead of pride and prejudice or crime and punishment, crime and prejudice. Why don't we take a break? Oh, and then... well, I wasn't done talking about hot Latin women on TV, but the point oh, keep, is, keep, keep. Go ahead. Alarmo Alarmo is on. And by the way, if a Latin guy ever tells you he's HIV positive, it's not a good thing. <laughs> um, but I will say that. Latin TV, I wish the world could just for like, you know, we have the purge in yep. movies. Can we have one day where it's called the splooge or something where <laughs> everything is Latin TV for the day? Just for, just for one day. <laughs> it just seemed like happier people. Oh my God. How could you? But that's whenever I see like angry, when you see like an, like, a, like an angry Latin guy, I'm like, you hit the, you hit the racial lottery, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You hit the cultural the, the lottery in terms of like your culture in many stereotypical but but truthful ways is basically like men are visual creatures and we must please them lest we get them angry. Yeah. So ladies, if you look good, look great. And it's like, that sounds like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, my point is we'll be back with a very serious, robust discussion on crime and prejudice. And we're back. How was your break, Mike? Fabulous, as always. Lo Favorite part of the show, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, I wanted to talk today, as you may know, as some of our listeners may know, I'm a former prosecutor, hmm. Bronx County, New York, three and a half years. Really, uh, you know, I love it when people in movies are like, he has a 100% conviction rate. I'm like, that's not just not true. <laughs> because when Impossible. you're- Well, when you're a new prosecutor, you get a lot of, meaningless but marginal cases mm -hmm. so that you can work not meaningless to obviously the people whose criminal records may hinge in the balance but things where often there's not like liberty at stake it'll be like hey you have an a class or b class misdemeanor right. go try this because we want you to work on your skills right. and we offer Someone's them a plea. Do it. right right because what you don't want your first case to be the murder trial um you want that to be you know your 20th case yeah so my record was <laughs> 3 and 3 I was a playoff bubble team as a prosecutor. Yeah. Uh, should have been four and two. 
Okay. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, that's for, that's for the legal historians to debate in, in future <laughs> generations. But I was, I was thinking about crime because I know you like it when I don't talk comedy and also when I talk serious topics, mm-hmm. it's like a double win for you. Yes. Um, when I talk seriously about comedy, that's like a double loss for you. Oh yeah. That, that is a double <laughs> loss for me. <laughs> so I thought like last week, as of this recording, there were, there was a report, a widespread reporting on like homicide rates being way down this year Yes, and just crime in general. And there was a report maybe close to a month ago, maybe a little less than a month ago about, you know, the shoplifting, uh, crime uh, reports way exaggerated exaggerated like in other up. words shot no no exactly like they were exaggerated up like yeah th- things were being attributed that just weren't true there and yes there were pockets of places where it was up yeah but it was really much more a product of the sensational videos and non-stop badgering mm-hmm. like you know that oh my god we have an epidemic of this but the data has now proven that that was grossly exaggerated and that Homicides are 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 having like a record drop and had a record drop in 2023. Granted, they had gone up over the pandemic, but they were also going up from record lows before the pandemic. So right. like the basic thing is, I think it was all mostly it was largely scare tactics on the whole. And that's not to say in certain cities. I know Washington, D.C. has had like an epidemic, legitimate epidemic of, of auto theft. Yeah. OK. So there's cities, there's places where specific crimes have exploded. That's But overall, the crime pattern in this country is not what it's been portrayed as. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like I, I look at, at where we are as a country where it's like, this is another theme, I think, of where facts don't actually matter anymore. Oh, you're, yeah, you're telling me, baby. And crime is one of those, sta- one of those stats, though, that if fear can cloud your judgment on things, well, then getting fake stats in a topic that will cl- that will make you fearful is like it's like an exponential effect. Well, so I guess my first question is, how could how could a stat be exaggerated if it is a stat? Like, let's let's just say the uh, the the what you call it, petty theft shoplifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how does that get exaggerated if there's numbers involved? I can understand the exaggeration if you're just. Going off of videos and and things like that. Right. I think, and and this is, and I wish I had the article and I may, I may just uh, very subtly like bring it back up because it was from a month ago, but I think it was like- Would you like me to vamp jail? I can do that. Mike, (laughs) what else is going on with you these days? (laughs) Well, luckily I have not shoplifted in- uh, Oh boy, I thought you'd be better at this. <laughs> you didn't even give me a chance to get started. You got to the third word, and you're like shoplifted. Because I was trying to figure out the tense of shoplifting, but I I know like since we're on the subject, the 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 finger that I can point to is I think we've talked a little bit about San Francisco and and how it's being portrayed right now, and and I haven't been there. I have heard it is pretty bad, um, but I know that I think we might have talked about it on this show a little bit one of the things that has been sort of a, a point of contention for the Fox News's and the right wing publications is that shoplifting out there is not really being prosecuted at all. I don't think you even get a misdemeanor for it anymore. I don't think you even get arrested if you're caught shoplifting. And so I think a lot of the drug stores and the Walgreens and places like that have kind of gone to uh, locking everything up behind 
the, like the annoying thing that they do when you need to get shampoo at CVS. Right. You say like you just have to call somebody over to get it. Well, the, my CVS, what they do in New Jersey is they lock up everything that you want and then leave like the CVS brand identical yes, product and open. I'm like, exactly. that's not fair. Yeah. That's just me being like, it's do strategy. I want to wait for Sensodyne or do I want CVS numb your gums toothpaste? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I've got to, and this is what I thought it was, but it was really about major brand stores overemphasizing shoplifting as a reason for closing stores and things like that. So it created this, but then once people analyze the data of theft broadly, it was like, no, they've exaggerated the reason. This is like downside. They're kind of going like downsizing and yes, they're yes. bullshitting and being like uh, theft. We just have to close these places because of theft, because I guess more people will understand that than right. I'm closing your local store where you get goods and services because we're fucking a corporate monster. Yes. So that's, I think that was the the gist overall. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that was kind of the gist of what happened in December when they were reporting. Oh, so the actual out. numbers are not lying. The numbers are what they're using to say that the CVSs of the world, I'm just throwing a, uh-huh. a brand out there, that the numbers are actually reflecting that those companies are just lying. <laughs> And the numbers are showing that shoplifting is not as actually not as bad as it's being reported anecdotally by these corporations is basically what you're saying. Right. Right. And it's you're right. And they won't share data about the store closures. They, they aren't yes. sharing the specific data from the closed stores. Right, right, right. And it's one of those things like I and I got into it with with a guy who was sort of a friend, but who is. Very much, you know, beats off to like Bill Maher's complaints about wokeness. Yeah. As I've said before, uh, wokeness is apparently the one topic that can't get hacked yeah. for the people who love it. Like you can hear it 900 times and it's, right. it's like the it's like Christmas morning. Every time you hear somebody complain about wokeness, you're like, I've never heard that before. Right. Hilarious and true. Right, right, right. And I said, I walked into a Dwayne Reed in on 42nd in Lexington. Kind of a busy area. Yeah. And... I went in. It's a two-decker. Quite, quite busy, yes. Right. It's a double-decker store. Yeah. I walked in. I saw nobody. I'm talking yeah. nobody. And then I went downstairs. I saw one person downstairs, one employee in sight downstairs. Yeah. I went, grabbed a couple things. And when I came upstairs, I actually had to double back. Like, if I just kept walking, the exit was closer than the double back to get to the cashier. And then I had to wait for someone who was, like, in the way back to come get me. And I thought... <coughs> nice. Me. Yeah, I thought cough. I thought <laughs> right into the microphone. Let me clear my throat. I did. I, I went here. Yeah, picked it up. Wow. All right. Um, and I wrote saying, it seems like a lot of stores are cutting back on their staff, creating an environment. Everybody wants to blame the cops. Like the police just won't enforce. And that's true in some places. And I always, I, my yeah. thing on cops, because we are talking law enforcement on this one, my thing on cops is they are such a Trump mindset of, the, in their, of their workforce. Not every cop, but in general. It's the, we got the toughest job. We're the heroes. Treat us like heroes. And if you criticize us, we'll walk out on the job. We'll start arresting people. It's like, how can you can't have it both ways? Yeah. You can't claim to be having the toughest job and then choose not to do that job when it's tough, yeah. emotionally or physically. I don't want to do it. I'm not here telling you you're a pussy or this. But if I'm walking around like the fucking cat's pajamas to appeal to our young fan base, I can't then flip it and be like, oh, but uh, you've, you've, you've hurt my feelings. So now I'm going to uh, not not do my job right. anymore. 
It's like heroes don't have to get treated like heroes. Yeah. Sorry, that's what makes the the behavior and the action heroic. Right. Is that you're doing something above yourself, not for the proper amount of credit, respect, and pussy. Because right. let's be honest, that's really about <laughs> that. And trust me, I have said this. These are these are anecdotal stats that I accumulated in my time as a prosecutor. The cheating rate for cops is 109%. <laughs> ask, ask a woman about that. They know for ask sure. Ask a too. woman yeah. cop. They'll yeah. say, oh, I have, a, I have a dick that's not my husband's in my mouth right now. <laughs> we all do it. <laughs> Bros and hoes before spousos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but the point is, or a vagina in her mouth. Yeah, inclusive. Okay. Cheating is for all. I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm not including LGBTQ cops. Yes. As part of the scum that infiltrate the police ranks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it's, it's, but it's, it's, and I, I wrote, and the person was like, the only reason this is happening is because people have defunded the police, like this, this antiquated, what already feels like an antiquated argument. The person wrote to me like, it's because of all the stupid woke Bl- uh, defund the police rhetoric that has cops not doing their job anymore. And I go, or there's nobody in the store. And it's like, <laughs> not everybody is a righteous moral figure. And I'm like, yeah. this store was basically begging me to steal shit. Yeah. And I didn't, of course. But it was like, hey, I don't even know if anybody's here today. Yes. What is this? Yeah. Is this like a dream? I just woke up. All the candy and pharmaceuticals I can have. I know. Dude. Like supermarket sweep. Yeah. It is a fair point. The CVS uh, across the street from my apartment, your old apartment. Uh, hey. Same old thing, man. They're, they're really, a, there's like three or four people that work there, I think, maybe at, at, a, at a given time. And honestly, man, they, they push everything towards self-checkout too. Yep. So nobody's even checking you out. So, and nobody's watching me check out. There's We're on the so honor system times. in a society yes. that lacks all honor. <laughs> yes. There's been so many times where I have gotten frustrated trying to do the right thing, pay pay for like whatever soap or whatever Can I need to Can you tell them I miss them? I miss my old neighborhood. <laughs> the, the people at CVS? It was the best when it was Food Emporium though. <laughs> oh, that's long gone, I think. No, no, no. It was gone when I was still there. Oh, got yeah. it. I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have a grocery store anywhere near where we're at. Anyway. But Mike, there's been times. Mike is saying that fifty, the East Fifties, is a food <laughs> desert. <laughs> it is. Please help him. <laughs> but when I when I go and I tre- check out at that CVS and it's they've forced me to go self checkout because they right. just won't ring me up. I literally because I've been taught to do the right thing. I don't steal the thing that I don't that I like screw up ringing up because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't work there. Right. Uh, so every time I swipe something and it just tells me like, you know, not recognized call for help or whatever. I could easily just throw that stuff in my bag and be like, see ya. Thanks. I paid for it. Walk out. They have no real idea in the moment, at least right. no one's paying attention. And the next thing you know, there's like some Staten Island congressman standing outside your CVS going, they're closing this down because too many migrants are robbing the working class people of this city. Eric Adams, you got to go. You got to go, Eric Adams. <laughs> That's Vinny Ligini's father. Uh Carmine the Congressman. (laughs) (laughs) 
You gotta do something about this. Working class people can't even get their snacks. So the point is, I feel like that's that's just one example because we are less and less nuanced. We are less and less sort of data driven and a lot more gut driven yeah. than ever before, which is unfortunate because we've never had more data and information and yeah. ignored more of it. But that's that was sort of my part, like homicides going down. Yeah, right. Like you, you it's a fact. Yeah, right. It's a fact. If you watch news that always shows you, and the local news, I will say, everybody always criticizes the media. Nothing is more damaging to the psyche than local news. <laughs> Laura likes to watch local news sometimes, and it's just crime, 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 puppy saved, crime, yeah. crime, sports, weather, bye. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus, the world is an awful place. Yeah. Because yeah. They, there is no, it's, it's just very bizarre. Local news is terrifying. Yeah. And you could be in a wonderful crime downturn and it's, but what are they going to report? Yeah. Some nice things happened today. Yeah. What's going on with you, Ted? Yeah. And so I think, but when you look at like the, I use the, 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 the store closures and the shoplifting as like, ah, instead of examining the ulterior motives or other data or doing a broader look. It's just like, well, they're, they're closing all these stores because of shoplifting. I saw two videos just the other day of unruly blacks stealing candy. <laughs> the world is coming to an end. Um, and don't get me wrong. When I saw like the flash mob video of like 30 people bum rushing, like a Gucci store, or some shit, I was like, wow, that that's it. That would unnerve me for fucking sure. Yeah. But I was like, and that's one like this. And then that is so easy to convince people that that's what's happening. All, and crime did go up. Now, nobody ever wants to say, oh, the pandemic fucking with people's lives probably had an aggregate effect. Just like poverty always leads to an increase in crime. Possibly the pandemic also led to crime, which it did. Yeah. And a lot of those things are now falling again. And the people, though, who don't want it to be true will just say, no, liberal prosecutors. Yeah, well, okay. If crime is going down and you still have a liberal prosecutor, maybe it's maybe maybe if you give these policies a chance, we might see some long-term growth, but nobody cares about long-term. Yeah. But now we've reached a point where even data is not as important as vibes, whether it's the economy or crime. Oh, vibes are the only thing that matter this in this day and age. Yeah. And everything. Forget, you know? No, it's because it's the same thing on the economy. People will just say to me, are you kidding me? What world are you in? I'm like, I don't know. The world where the economy is doing well. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, unemployment's down. Inflation has come down to like 2%, at least like on a quarterly basis or whatever. It's back where they want it. And uh, the stock market is doing very well. Right. I don't know what other, if you're fucked up, I apologize. But that's, I said the economy. I didn't say troll on threads. Yeah. You know, so- I just, but with crime, I just have always found it very, very interesting in general because I'm going to share a little bit of a personal story because I think prejudice has so much to do with how we see crime. Mm -hmm. And there's the basic things of you just can easily compare the crack cocaine and the opioid epidemic. Oh, yeah. Okay. In terms of one was treated like a scourge that needed to be put away forever, the other a health crisis. Right. That's, that's a basic example now that people still don't seem to kind of come to grips with. You know, and I should say some people don't come to grips with, don't see the hypocrisy or don't see that as a chance to reflect and say, 
you know what, if I was wrong on that, maybe there's an issue today that I'm wrong on. Yeah, right. Like, like I was, I was like a lot of people in the eighties. I was like, you got to get these crack babies some help and put these crack dealers and crack users in jail. It's scary. It's violent. Okay. But now that you've at least the very least you can do, if you see through the arc of history and how opioid folks are being treated differently, doesn't that make you want to reflect and say, Hey, maybe, maybe there's another issue, whether it's schooling or maternal health or something where I should be like, wow, maybe black people get treated differently on that as well and need, you know, some help or some concern or some tolerance or whatever the word you need to go with is. But I will say this as a, when I was a, a prosecutor in the Bronx, you know, 99%, 95% of the names I saw were, were Latin names. Mm -hmm. And I remember just finding myself starting to feel that, like that beginning of, of bigotry. Like I was very conscious of it, that you were being bigoted toward them. I was starting, I was starting to think okay. certain things. Cause you, and, and part of it I think had to do with my girlfriend at the time was Latin. She was from the Bronx and occasionally some, some family shit would come up with her that would annoy me. Um, I remember she had like, uh, uh, her, her, her baby daddy was a, was, was a, basically not around, but what I knew of him, not a great guy. Sure. And you start to kind of internalize that. So you have a personal, it created like a personal connection for me. Yeah. And then when you're just at work having a bad day and you got 10 folders on your, on your desk and it's like Diaz, Sanchez, Gutierrez, Diaz, uh, Vasquez, what the fuck? Like, what the yeah. hell, people? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And you start to veer into that. What's with these people? Right. You're not yelling it, but the beginning is thinking it. And then, you know, once you're in a group with maybe some cops or you've been working for 10 years at the place and everybody's having that similar, my, I only worked three and a half years, but you can see. I imagine working with the cops adds some fuel to the fire. <laughs> well, but sometimes, to be honest, sometimes it was easy to look at the cops as different. Uh -huh. Like you could see, oh, you could, you could look at them Relate and maybe them? be like, well, I don't want to be like that. Right. But you don't realize what's happening in your, in yourself. Mm -hmm. Now I am a, as the conservatives say, a lib cuck. Yep. So I went to a liberal arts college. I read a lot. I, I, I came from a mixed race parentage. I have a joke about being like, you know, when you're half black, half white. You go work for the Bronx DA's office where you can throw a bunch of Latinos in jail. <laughs> I'm being true to both my people. Right. But you, I started to just be, but I was conscious of it. And I said, uh-uh, I can't keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, I have to be aware of what I'm thinking. And then I just, I got out of the office, not just because of that, but it was one of the negatives where it was like, it's human nature. I'm not working in the community. I'm not working in the Bronx, interacting with nurses, teachers, day laborers, uh, store owners, kids, teens, whatever. I'm just working in the place where crime gets filtered to. That's it. My job is to handle criminal cases from the community. So it's not a random sampling. It's not a cross section of the community. It's for lack of a better term, right. the worst of the community. Right. Right. Even though I'm not some of these misdemeanor cases, they're not character judgments on people, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You start to go, Oh, you have to be aware of that. And I think sometimes people aren't aware of that. But as a, and then I think when you look at the police, you'll, you'll hear things like retraining. I'm a believer that retraining can be good. My training came from reading and going to college and being exposed to lots of different things. Not everybody can afford that or has that experience. 
But I see on both sides a lot when people say retraining, there's a lot of eye rolling because I don't think either side takes it seriously enough. Um, I think one side looks at it as like some woke garbage and the other side goes, they think of it as woke garbage. How's it going to do anything? And I don't know how we fix this because police to me, and I can only use my experience, like New York cops, they, they almost never live in their neighborhood or community. Ever. They create, so that creates already a siege Live in mentality. their neighborhood. I mean, they don't even live in the borough. But prosecutors, see, prosecutors had to live in the city. We didn't have to live right. in the Bronx. I happened to live in the Bronx when I, when I was there, but you didn't have, but you had to live in the city. I don't exactly know why that was, but cops, on the other hand, from their, probably from their union, um, which is, you know, Pat Lynch, yeah. uh, one of the scummiest yes. douchebags on, on God's <laughs> green earth. Yeah. He, that guy's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he doesn't just, he, I feel like there's fighting for your, for your workforce and there's liking it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think he, yeah, he, he he's killed like, a black guy. I so would what? do this for free. <laughs> If I can harass blacks yeah. and Latins and immigrants. Oh, dude, I remember when I was working at ABC, we would play <laughs> Pat Lynch clips all the time. And it was like the height of Eric Gardner and all that stuff. That guy was the worst. The worst. Yeah. And there was never, but there was never an effort. Like there was, they've created, and I don't know how you stop this, a us against them. And there's no, we're yes. part of the community. Yeah, oh yeah. And I think that's also the problem when you're not part of the community. All the training classes won't mean shit if you don't have an opportunity to apply them in your life. If you're just like, yeah, I went back to my neighborhood in, in fucking Suffolk or or in uh, Jersey, Jersey, Jersey or, or upstate Rockland County. Yeah. I go up there where we're all the same. Yeah. We're all blue. And yeah. this is and for people who sometimes make that stupid line of like, oh, so black, like with the Memphis beating to death, where it was like, oh, all black cops, who's going to play the race card on this one? And it's, that's another aspect of it where it's like, there is a race card here. Yeah. This shit most likely would not have happened to a white motorist. Yeah. You know, right. like, like the, the Supreme court many years ago suspended the death penalty for, I want to say, Oh, when was it? I think it was in 72 and they did it for, I forget how many years. And then it's obviously back, but they suspended the death penalty because and the study they put forth was, it was not who gets the death penalty based on what their color is. It was that black victims of murder, their assailants, their murderers got the death penalty, like way less. Yeah. Way less, like statistically significant amount. So they're going, well, look, it's not being applied fairly. Like the right. due process, black victims are not achieving. These equal guys kill justice. each other all the time. Well, that's definitely that. And right. that's, that's my other argument for why The Wire and Narcos and Snowfall have never won any Emmys. Yeah. But Breaking Bad, Weeds, and <laughs> Ozark win all the Emmys. Because I think there is this like, oh, what, did you see how this white guy had to deal yeah. drugs? Yeah. Breathtaking performance. Right, like, right, right. Ah, this uh, right. Yale-trained actor, right. but he's black. White guys so don't do that. He kind of knows how to deal drugs, even yeah, though he yeah. went to Yale drama. He's yeah. still a, you know, he's got it in him. It's kind of unfair. It's like the blacks with the... The fast twitch muscles. It's yeah. like, oh, geez. Um, it's, what an odd way for the Jimmy the Greek racism to be the point where we go to the final segment. But I just, <laughs> what I thought was about this, just in terms of crime, the homicide stats brought it up where it's like, I feel like we're under a mass delusion. And, and like so many things we've discussed on this podcast, I don't think, I'm just warning you that we're already possibly too far gone because the things we'd need to change 
There are too many people invested in not changing, no matter what the data says. And the change would be radical, not unjust, not impossible, but it would be radical, like mentally radical, like make cops live in their neighborhoods that they work. You know, could we do that? We could. They, they would, we would lose. They would not be cops. If, cops live, had, right. if, if white cops had borough. to live in Harlem, they would be like, fuck this. Yes. I know. I, I'm not and that Jay, goes, I'm not saying right. you're wrong. I'm right. saying I know. Listen, I come from a cop family. I just know who goes into the police force and right. why they go into the police force and, and that they're not really like. I had a cousin that was a, uh, a cop in Harlem. He hated it. Did what he could to pull whatever strings he could to get out of there. Lives in Long Island. And, and I think he's a cop in Long Island now. But like when he was in the NYPD, it was like. He wasn't going to live on 125th and Lex. Are you like, you know what I mean? If I if I said Burrow, that would probably be a little more palatable. But I'm sure yeah. they'd be. But but then the question becomes: Now what? Now I got to live in the village with all these these fucking uh, pussy hipsters, fanooks. No thanks. Yeah, these fanooks. Mike, but but that but to me, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Where it's like, well, do you want to be a police officer? Do you want to police? your community or do you want to police someone else's community? No, you just you want, want to be, you want to just get out at 40 with a pension with a pension. Doesn't matter and, what it is. And some, some blue lives <laughs> blow jobs. Yes. And that's, I think, and we'll, we'll wrap it up there. It's, I didn't put a bow on it like I wanted to, but it's, it's just one of those things where I go, the, the way we police the way we, you, I would rather have police coming from the community. Even yeah. if you have to grandfather things in where it's like, I want to be, but, but we've, we've treat, we've turned policing into something different. Yeah. And how can you see a community as part of you that you're doing for them instead of to them? Yeah. If you come on your hour long drive from your neighborhood of cops or very demographically similar to you and you end up in this where it's just like, oh, these fucking animals. And you hear that kind of talk. I heard that kind of talk and it's, 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 but it's also my point is, I'm not here just to say, oh, the cops are default scumbags. Some of them get into it because they're scumbags. Some of them, <laughs> the job can make you a scumbag. Yeah. And that's why I brought up my own example of if I was a DA for 20 years, I can't pro- I, I think I can promise you that I wouldn't have changed because I at least had the built-in mechanisms of checking myself. But that kind of stuff is probably pussy woke nonsense to a lot of cops. And if if you feel in danger or you're surrounded by your brothers in blue all the time, that culture will have an influence on you. And how do you break that up? I don't know. So my point is, uh, don't shoplift, kids. So with that, we'll take one more break and we'll be back with some comedy talk. Bye-bye. And now, from the Slickback Studios newsroom in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, here is Scott Pelley with a Rain on Your Parade special reports. Welcome back, everybody, to Punchdown of the Week. I'm 60 Minutes Scott Pelley. This week's Punchdown of the Week from JL. After seeing that Boeing had suspended some of their MAX aircraft due to an incident in midair, JL tweeted, What if we made the whole plane out of not Boeing Max. Obviously, hearkening back to that old joke of what if, why don't we make the plane out of the black box? 
and a person replied, They tried that with the stuff flight recorders are made of. Yes, that's the joke. As the kids would say, say less. Thank you, Scott. Oh, Scott Pelly, a pro's pro. A pro's pro. He's he's one of the best, and he's so nice, you know, to take time out from his busy schedule. Yeah. Um, Well, this week's uh, special review is uh, show favorite Pete Davidson. Mm. Turbo Fonzarelli is yep. the name of his new special. I think it went up yesterday as of this recording. So I, I, I during my my kale salad lunch, I I turned it on, and uh, boy oh boy, it's uh, there's not a lot of there there. <laughs> um, my he seems like a nice fellow. People seem to have a nice opinion of him. Women seem to like his penis. So there's all sorts of things going for him. That's Big good. cock, from what Tre- they say. Treats his mom right. Yep. Uh, you know, has his own issues, but doesn't seem to, to, to attack anybody. Seems to be mostly about, you know, peace, love, and understanding. That does not buy you a pass on this podcast <laughs> for putting out what amounts to confident open mic night. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I have my thoughts about Pete and uh, they are, I, I don't think, it's just my personal opinion. Mm. And, you know, as somebody that now... Uh, uh, open hater of stand-up comedy. I don't think that stand-up is is Pete's strength. Mm. However, um, I am not a Pete hater, and I actually did you? I'm watch- a Pete truther. I'm not here to hate. No, I know. I'm I know. a truther. I know. The hard art. And listen, that also just you know liking somebody and thinking that they are actually talented in other ways does not also mean that you can't make a bad special, which I haven't watched, so I can't give a full opinion. But I will say, I uh, I didn't watch it all the way through, but I was at, I got invited to his premiere for Bupkis. Did you watch that at all? I have Peacock? heard it's good, but fool me three times, shame on me. Well, this is, so this is what I'm going to say about Pete. And I think that, you know, obviously making stuff that is uh, more long form is a little more of a collaborative effort. Right. Good on him because he does keep his people involved. He's very good to the people that I think that he's been like friends with and loyal to throughout coming up stand uh, in the stand up world. Guys like Ricky Velez and like Dave Sirius, who's a great writer. I think he was at SNL um, for a little bit. And uh, Derek Gaines, guys like that. Um, so I, I do love that about Pete. He has like that Sandler kind of thing where all sure. his boys are just involved. That's a nice thing. And I will say we saw the first two episodes of Bupkis when I was there. And I do think that it was good okay. what I saw. So I think, I think that's where his strength is. He puts the cock in Peacock. Yes. <laughs> I think he's one of these guys that got into the situation where like, you know, as you know, some people in this industry are chosen and some people aren't. <laughs> And uh, which am I? <laughs> that's, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Pete is untalented. I think he's got a specific talent, uh, and he's good at that. I think he can make good long form stuff. But the thing is, he's so famous at this point, and I think for a long time it wasn't really clear why he was famous. I think that was your point that he's a Kardashian of comedy yeah. in a lot of ways. Well, there you stole my off mic line. Yeah. I'm about to drop that hammer <laughs> on the audience, but okay. Uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you I've, gave it attribution. At I've least. stepped so much. I've a lot of steppage on on your a review. habitual line stepper is, I believe, how the Chappelle <laughs> Show would refer to you. Um, well, I was just going to say, 
the special to me was, I, I have often asked this question. I remember uh, Jay Farrow, great impersonator, yes. uh, had several seasons on SNL. He put out a special on Showtime. Many, we're talking many years ago. And I was just like, what was that? Yeah. It was a terrible special. And I, I run into this all the time and more and more where I'm, you, you want to, I want to scream and go, does anybody fucking care? Yeah. Like personal, like person, like a, a comedy special, this idea of like, well, I, I guess I just got to put one out. But the answer is no. Yeah, you know? I know. I know. That's the thing. Yes. But I, when I see <laughs> a special where I'm like, but that wasn't it's, and it's the question for me is not, this is your only chance, Pete or, 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 or um, who did I just say? Jay or whoever, yeah. whenever I see a famous person put out a real mediocre product, I go, but you don't have to, you well, don't have to. That's where my question comes in, where it's like, We've discussed the need to constantly feed was the it a, content. Wh- where, was, where was the special hosted? Is it Netflix? Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay, got it. Yeah, big. I mean, I'm sure big, big budget. Big. I just wasn't sure if it was a Peacock thing. No, Contracts, he's, just all, over, he's all over the platforms. Bupkis right. is on Peacock. Yeah. Uh, uh, his special's on Netflix. And it was one of these specials where I, I watched it and it was like, it's 55 minutes. I'd say he took 10 minutes to kind of just get into what I would consider an act. Yeah. Not crowd work. Not that just like, ah, this is fucking, fucking, um, fucking take a shit. Fuck. Like, yeah. sorry. You know, I don't know if I, like, um, <laughs> look at this, this like fucking coming to theater. Like I was like, like, we were like, Pete, like what's, what's up Pete? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, like, you know, I just fucking, and I was like, okay, are, are you settled in yet? <laughs> Are you settled in for your Netflix special yet? Yeah. And it was like, once he got into it, it was fine. Like, like I'd say like half of it was fine, but that's like half of 55 minutes. And it's not even that jokes were bombing. It was like, this is the kind of thing where like, when I started out in DC, you'd be at an open mic and they'd be going, work it out, work it out. Right. No, don't work it out. Don't figure, do it. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And, but I've always just thought like, here's, 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 I just want to give in case people are like, but I, I like Pete. I find him fun. Um, my mantra with him, with SNL was seven seasons, zero impressions, zero characters. I don't think we'll ever see a run like that again. <laughs> he's famous, man. And I, like it's, it's, he's one of the first guys that I can think of that's sort of like transcended. We were talking about George Carlin before we started. He's uh, post talent. He's he's not post talent. Post he, Malone. He, I know you love no, puns. Post I know either. you love puns. <laughs> he is he is post. He is post. It's like post craft. Like the the fact that he's a stand up comedian doesn't really matter. He's just kind of. Let me let me. He cut. is he is like a better version of Matt Rife, in my opinion. I know we trash Rife all the time because I don't believe that Matt Rife is talented, uh, but I believe that Pete. Oh, for real? <laughs> yes, but they're the same in the sense that um, Matt Rife's real allure is that he's handsome and famous. And but what Matt Rife has done to get you know you're never very rare you're going to get me defending Matt Rife. Matt Rife has, I wouldn't say mastered, but is very proficient in the 
skills of stand-up comedy. Whether or not you think he's hilarious or not, he is. He has the fundamentals down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he hits his beats. The crowd likes him. He interacts very well with the crowd. So he has like the skill set. If not, if if there's if there's no juice there or no spirit behind that, he does have the skills. But when I watch, see, for my Pete Davidson, if I were to really break down his stand-up, in my opinion, whatever people take of this, they can think I'm a hater, they can think I'm a fucking douche, but I know fucking comedy and I got a brain that works. Yeah. He strikes me as a guy who started doing comedy young, 18. Yes. You know, and um, there's two types of comics if you start really young. You know, Dave Chappelle got famous early as well. Yeah. And I've always said when a comic gets famous, whether they're young and famous or older and famous, the more skill they have, the more it doesn't matter if the crowd always loves them. A shitty comic that gets famous will just be able to get last because it's like, hey, like Seinfeld in his documentary 20 years ago would comment on like the he was at the peak of his power and the crowd would be dying laughing. Mm -hmm. And he's he's like, oh, that's not even funny. Like the. At least he had that inner meter to know no matter how famous I get, it's got to meet my standard. Yeah. I can make these fuckers laugh easily just by being Jerry Seinfeld now, but I've got to, I have, some comics have that inner, inner measurement that they can always, no matter how hard they're killing because they're them, they can also kill because they have that inner that inner measurement of how good a joke really is. And I think Chappelle, having gotten really famous young, and being really successful young has it regardless of what you think of some specials here or there. I think he has an inner measurement, but you're talking about the it as and if I'm that's saying, the important what I'm thing. saying Pete Davidson, when I watch him, I see a guy who was, you know, doing spots, got very famous, very young, like 20, yeah. 21. There, there's almost nobody alive. Who's just going to be fucking crushing it for real at that age. They might have some good bits, but once you got famous, there was no longer a need. It almost stunts your comedy growth. So when you're a fourth year feature act, maybe, well, you're already headlining, and people already love you. Again, but this is this is the same conversation we have. Every no, no, but week. I'm I'm telling but people this is they <laughs> if they're still listening to the show, they're listening for my opinion, knowing that the state of comedy is what it is. But I'm breaking down why I think his special is like very like whatever. But this is so this is even the, though he's a 12 year vet at this point of stand up comedy, right. his shit has never matured past like the kind of up and coming feature guy yeah. level. And I think once again, this is no yeah, it is what it is. He's famous. He's successful. He seems like a nice guy. But like this is where the, this is a good example of comedy in this era now, which is like. We don't need to move the art forward. We don't, nobody gives a fuck about the art. Nobody even yes. knows what the fuck the art is anymore. It's just like, I like him. I have a pretty simple sense of humor. I'm not going to overthink things. Hey, Pete. Yes. <laughs> That's, I mean, it took, it took you a long way to get there, but yes. That, yes. That's exactly what it is. As I like have throat cancer coughs. No, it's literally, and again, you know, I, I had, I had some, I had probably more negative sort of thoughts about Pete before I saw Bupkis and Bupkis is very much like a, uh, like a meta commentary on his own life in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, which is, I, I thought it was interesting and they, they did a really good job with it, but that is kind of his strength. He, he is post, he is, he is the first comedian to exist in a world where the audience 
cares much less about comedy. Whereas like a George Carlin, that's what that guy did. Like you were a Carlin fan because that guy was like the best comedian. Or you were, Pryor had this a little bit too, where sometimes like post, post getting burnt up, part of the allure of Pryor was going to be hearing him talk about like his fucking crazy life in a lot of ways, you know? What Wait. happened after he gets burned up? Pete is kind of in that world where he's he's famous and he is a comedian by like title. So the presence, if you're an audience member, like you just said, hey, it's Pete, whatever. The being close to somebody that is a just a famous person, it's influencer comedy sort of like at its best. And I don't think that he's untalented as a as a creative person mm-hmm. but i think that stand-up was like it's like how he started and he was a young guy man when you're when you're hitting your like your stride of fame mm-hmm. in your early 20s um that's what's getting presented to a certain generation and there it's still it, snl still mainstream enough where that's what you're going to put in front of uh 20 something year olds and right. he represents he is you're going to hate that I'm going to say this, JL. And I mean this 100%. I hate almost everything you say. I am not going to... I'm not kidding. I'm being very sincere when I say this. Pete is the voice of a generation. No, it's fine. I really do believe it's it. It's a generation I have utter contempt and disrespect for. And that's the that's the broader <laughs> issue here. Is that like there's a lot of people that for somehow find Pete relatable. Right. And it's it's like it's a little bit younger than than my generation right. certainly younger than yours but it's <laughs> it's it's not really about grandpa being, jl's comedy <laughs> hour it's not really about being great at anything it's just like everybody seems to like this guy because that is the one thing i'll say i don't know there's a lot of people that i think are very jealous of him and there's a lot of people that have a lot to say about him if they don't know him right but one of the things that i picked up uh from being at that premiere was that he had Ghostface Killer and uh, one of the dudes from the Locks come out, and they were just like souped up to be. They were like, "Pete, Pete's my man. Fucking love you, dude." Like, hey man, he's famous enough where rappers are just like, "This guy's cool." And then Machine Gun Kelly was there, and he's like, "This guy's cool." And all these people that are around this guy just like him, and, and like, uh, fucking Joe Pesci chose to be. These people like did this job right. on this show. Because they like the kid. And it's I don't know that there's much else to really explain out of that. It's like he doesn't he's not hurting anybody. He's the ultimate just like I don't necessarily understand the allure, but it might be just because like the reason he's famous. We're kind of past it's it's past uh, us as older but people. I want to two things I want to bring up. One, and then we can be done with this. Um, <laughs> no, because I think I think without insulting him, I think he is a useful. Everybody always thinks when I talk comedy, I'm just some fucking. I, I'm I'm I care, and I think it's valuable to me, even psychologically, if nothing else. Yeah. To like break it down and just to to examine the culture through comedy, because yeah, even when you would compare him to like an Adam Sandler. Yes. You look at Adam Sandler, this is, it's such a good comparison because a lot of people would be like, oh, Adam Sandler was like a, uh, this generation's Jerry Lewis or something. He's just goofy, yeah. funny, fun family comedies. He's likable. He's, he's, he was a young face. He was the kid yeah. on the SNL. But if you were to compare their body of work at even at, by up to age 30, 
as both SNL people and movies. Yeah. It's no comparison. Like Jerry yeah. Seinfeld might as well be Carlin in terms of created way more characters. His movies, his early movies are some of them are really fantastic borderline. I wouldn't say iconic comics, comedies, but like Happy Gilmore, I love Billy Madison. I don't, but a lot of people do. I hate Billy Madison. Me too. Yeah, I hate it. But, but speaking not just for myself, but those movies are held in some reverence by, by people of like my age and a little yeah. older and a little younger. But I also think that, that that's recency bias in a lot of ways. Cause I think if you were to watch that, I like Happy Gilmore after the fact. I think it's like there's, there's a lot more there. I didn't see Happy Gilmore but, like when it first came out. But yeah, but like I guarantee if I pulled up the Billy Madison reviews right now or whatever, I'm sure the people at the time that like cared about any of it, like the use of that time were like, this is bullshit. No, I, I never liked Billy you Madison, know? but I'm saying no, I know. You, you but could I, also say Ace Ventura had bad reviews, but yeah. it was wildly popular. I don't, right. I don't see anything that he's done that has even achieved. He has achieved that popularity, but none of his work has. I, I understand what you're saying, <laughs> and my my the, my retort to that is essentially there, there's two. First off, you still watch SNL, right? Sometimes. I like an like the way an anthropologist would study ancient <laughs> cultures and civilizations. Yes, because I gave up on SNL years ago. It's just not for me anymore. Uh, I just don't think it's very good. But um, it's the, not unless they want to audition me for something. <laughs> <laughs> the, do, are there any characters on SNL anymore? Is well, anybody done, doing that? What they've done with the show, and I say this to Laura, is that there are people I have thought in the last several uh, seasons. Cecily Strong is probably my favorite example of this, where they turned characters into desk pieces. Yeah. They didn't build sketches around characters. Instead, what they do is every episode, let's start with a game show sketch. Yeah. And then we'll do a, we'll do a, 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 a taped reel rap, most likely some sort of rap. Right. Ironic parody video. Then we'll come back to like a cooking show. Right. Break. And but there's no superstar. Formulaic. There's no. Because they're not, they're actually, they're doing. I think they are doing wrong by their talent on that show now. Now, I think Pete might have been perfect for that show where it was just like, likable guy. We don't have to make him into an iconic character. Right. He'll just be a celebrity and somebody that young people look to on the show as representative of them. But like Cecily Strong had so many characters and this woman, Heidi Gardner, on the show as well. They're all desk pieces now. They come in and I go... What happened to building recurring characters? I but this is so this is this is like the, the piggyback that my second like retort is just like I don't think that that is comedy anymore. Like to I, I'm sorry, no, I know, no, but I, like I but, don't think I don't result, think that my problem is the results speak for themselves. Agreed, it is agreed. Still comedy. What they're doing is substandard, dude. I agree with right. you. I would rather have Lloyd Christmas and the Roxbury guys and like all those. I I I though, that was my favorite version of snl i don't think people i think audiences now younger audiences think that all that shit's corny and i don't agree with them right but i think so that's why i think pete because this is the thing pete's whole thing is that he's like secretly actually a cool guy which is poison for comedy right. hasn't that always been kind of like po the only person that i feel like ever has ever really pulled that off was eddie murphy right <clears throat> Excuse me, if I may. Hickory dickory dock. <laughs> sure. Okay. Right. Right. But we we <laughs> yes. But we we go back <laughs> we go back and we look at dice and we say that that guy sucks. 
Like he, there's like parts of him where I've seen him live once I had fun, but I don't think that Dice is a great where I look at Eddie Murphy and I look back and I'm like, wow, this guy really was just the talent, right. you know, who also was like kind of like a like a very famous, handsome kind of like, he had like a sex appeal. And I don't think I don't think that's common for comedy. You know, I'll, I'll tell you who I think when I look at and I hold him up as an example every time. And then I have one more comment on just to wrap this up. I know we went way too Bo long. Burnham. Bo Burnham is yeah. somebody that I look at and go, that is an it. And I'm not I, I know Eddie Murphy's your guy. I look at Bo Burnham as somebody Eddie Murphy's level for what he is. Like, in other words, he is a young he was a young phenom who fulfilled and exceeded the promise of his talent. Yeah. Um, and it's a, you know, so Bo Burnham is somebody that I look at and say, that's a genius. That's yeah. a genius of, of, uh, he's so good. He's one of the few people I don't have like any pangs of jealousy when I see him succeeding or doing something great. Yeah. yeah. Not, not real. Je- you, you know what I mean? Like you see somebody do something good. You're like, oh man, I wish I could have done it, but you don't like hate the person. Bo Burnham, I don't even feel that. I'm just like, I'm enjoying this. Like, I think he is a once in a generation talent. Um, he should have his own fucking late night show. Fuck scraps SNL, Bo Burnham on Fox or whatever. But the the other thing I was going to say, just to wrap this up with a joke, just to prove my point a little bit. <laughs> in the last three years, in the last 10 years, until Priscilla came out, which is really not about him, about Elvis. It's about Elvis's wife. Yeah. There has been exactly one, in, in the span of Pete Davidson's career, there have been two autobiographical projects about him. Yeah. And one about Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I think that's, that's how a, I would yes. sum this up. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, man. I know. And that that's that is that is kind of like the broader point that we're getting to. Right. Is like he's he's good at being Pete Davidson. Um, you know, it, it's a weird world we live in, and um, you know, we could talk about this for hours, I think, but I think we have. Yeah. We should wrap this up. So yes. thank you, Mike. Thank you for uh <laughs> not scolding me for going a little long. And uh, I will see you next Thursday.